Hello, welcome along to a Wednesday night edition of Sports Day. Well, it's a funny game, cricket. For such a professional sport and a traditional sport, with its roots deeply embedded in aristocratic English heritage, where the gentleman dominated for many, many years, it sure does throw up some doozies. Twice this season, we've debated the mystical notion of the spirit of cricket, once when Bairstow was stumped by Kerry, and again last week when Sri Lankan Angelo Matthews was given out before facing a ball for the very first time in a World Cup, simply because he was late to the crease. Now, there's been a raging debate since that rebounds between the borderlines of rules are rules to being totally unsportsmanlike behaviour that's not in the spirit of the game. Today, though, news came to hand that should have everyone in cricket up in arms regarding India's behaviour again. That, to me, should be both illegal and condemned for being outside of the spirit of the game at least. The Indian Express today reported that Indian officials have asked the BCCI curators to shave off most of the grass on the playing surface for their wicket against New Zealand, guaranteeing a slow surface at the Wankhede Stadium prior to tonight's match. It's the semi-final of a World Cup ODI, for goodness sake, not the local hit and giggle. A Mumbai Cricket Association official has confirmed that a message was in fact conveyed to prepare a super slow pitch that won't turn, and that's exactly what they've got in this case, a flat track made to order. Now, doctoring of wickets has been going on for a long time in Test cricket, play between two nations outside the purvey, notionally, of the ICC. It was a hot topic before this year's incredible series against India in India, and Kane, well, he put the very notion of cheating to world-class commentator and former Indian captain Ravi Shastri prior to the first test, and this is how he responded. Ravi, what is going on? I'm upset by this. A lot of us Australians are upset by the tactics used to repair this pitch. They've watered the middle, but they've left the length for a left-hander pretty dry, and there's been a lack of treatment. Do you think this is... I've called it cheating. Is that fair? That's bullshit. Bullshit indeed, Ravi. And yes, both teams do have to play on the same pitch. But in a World Cup semi-final, it's beyond belief that the home team in any country can simply ring up the curators and get it custom-made, like you're ordering Uber Eats from Tommy Ruffs. Two panko fried flake, one Moroccan barramundi, one skewer with chilli sauce, small chips and three potato cakes. Oh, and throw in a flat track. From a dumb footballer's perspective, surely... That's got to be against the rules and not in the spirit of the game. But the question, Kane, is simply this. Is it much more than that? Is it a case of blatant cheating that no officials from other countries is prepared to call out because the BCCI is so powerful? The wicket preparation in a World Cup should surely, in any normal world, be overseen by an independent ICC-appointed curator to avoid exactly this scenario. As I said at the start... It can be a funny game at times, cricket. Kane, it's great to have Ravi back on the program. Welcome to you. <laughs> I've missed him, Jerry. Yeah, Some of too. your absolute <laughs> best work there. I mean, you've, you've summed up everything, really, that needs to be summed up. But uh, to, to the point of the problem, the ICC needs to take full control over the preparation of pitches. Now, this isn't new. We've seen home nations order specific pitches. I'm not sure they go to the links that the Indians do. And that's why home nations have, you know, large success at home World Cups. But just take the problem out of everyone's hands and get an independent 
body to curate the pitch. I'm really interested in everyone's thoughts today. It's yeah. been a topic that a lot of people have been up in arms about, and rightly so. one 736 736 You heard Jared's thoughts. I couldn't Had believe it when I read it today, I've got to say. Yeah. When I read you, it, I said, Were you surprised by it? I was staggered by it. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's a World it's, Cup. I can it's understand not new it. for them to do it. Well, but in a World Cup, I, mean, I can understand <laughs> it in Test cricket. And, and I accepted uh, Ravi's explanation. I thought he explained it really well. And the Test series proved to be absolutely magnetic. It was ma- magnificent. But you just can't. I mean, you can't just ring up the curator and say, hey, buddy, just shave a couple of centimetres well, of the grass well, off, surely. Well, I've never thought like, and I mean, they're not the first sporting team to have an unfair advantage, but I've always thought about the ethics. Like, if, if you win by doing that, are you fully satisfied? Like, if, I don't know, just say if Collingwood were playing Brisbane on grand final day yeah. and you knew Brisbane were a really fast, outside, high-speed running team... Yeah. And they got the curator just to water the MCG as much as they could <laughs> three, four days out from the grand final and just pounded the water into it. Would, would Collingwood fully feel like they deserved to win the premiership and they were the best team on the day? It's like sign stealing in baseball. Like the Houston Astros, good on you. You stole some signs and you got an unfair advantage, but do you really feel good about yourself for doing it's like drug cheats, like you won, but yeah. did you really win? I don't, I don't get, I don't get that part of it. You're probably too young, Kane, to remember the legendary watering of the wicket down at Moorabbin. Can you remember those no, days? I can't, no. no, oh no, it was absolutely. Uh, St Kilda weren't <laughs> much good at those days, and uh, oh, it's it's football, it's football uh, folklore, folklore that yeah. uh, the the hose was brought out and the quagmire that was the Moorabbin wicket. Just slowed sides down, and uh, they had a lot of mud runners that played for them, and uh, they found a way to win more often than not when the pitch was shocking. But uh, well, I can't, rem- I can't believe this has happened in a World Cup semi-final. No, either can I, and either can a lot of our audience. One that really gets me, and I don't know how much of an advantage this would have been, but the Brisbane players having the IV drips at halftime in the early two thousands before. They were banned. Now, mm. they were legal at the time, but no one else was doing it. Like I would have loved to have come in at halftime, dehydrated, and just got a quick buzz from an IV. Yeah, I thought that was creative, trip. I must admit. I mean, there was no yeah. – there was no. But I it, thought there was medical uh, foresight. I mean, no one ever suggested it was cheating at that stage, but uh, it was, for all intents and purposes, it was banned as soon as it became uh, well-known. But at that stage, it was like getting your own jet and flying uh, at, at low altitudes. It was just – physiological advantage back then. All right. Well, we are locked and loaded for Sports Day. We've got uh, one of the biggest programs we've had this year. The new West Coast CEO is Don Pike. He is going to join us. Uh, AFL draft prospect, and he's a gun, Jed Walter. He's heading to the Gold Coast very, very early. He's been liking to Charlie Kerno. He is going to speak to us. Daniel Garb's going to chat to us about the Socceroos and their game against Bangladesh. And then we're going to speak um, some AFLW after that. As well, but uh, more importantly, your calls. Dave's in Ballarat. What do you think, Dave? Well, it's been one of my things for a while, and um, I'm glad you brought up Moravan. Uh, but uh, I felt this in the first match of this tournament we, where we played India, and it was clearly designed for their spinners. And uh, as I say, it's different between you, you're having a you agree to play a series between each other, and you can have the way you do it, and they have the way to do it. But when you're a World Cup, it should be all you are is a location, yeah. And it should be the ICC should take a much stronger stance. And uh, I think what you suggested was good have a, a, an overseeing curator and have it within bounds of what's normal. I think that's fair. I mean, you, you can't go to the extremities, 
it, there's got to be some sort of neutrality in the way it's prepared, which uh, gives everybody a crack. And that would all just mean common sense to me, David, but it doesn't appear as if the cricket world mm. worries too much. Do you, you reckon the, the power of the BCCI is uh, is is part and parcel of this issue, David? Uh, no, well, it shouldn't be. But, I mean, what about all the great efforts during this series? Maxie's two great innings, uh, a lot of other players that does something. All that just goes uh, to waste when cynically uh, someone can just end up, no matter what you've done to get to the finals, someone else can just produce what they want to to give them a, a huge leg up. Mm. All right. Someone's text through says... Get Corn v Ravi again. Yep, we need, we need another showdown. We'll see if we see if we can organise that. <laughs> he didn't want to have a bar of it. So you stop short of calling it cheating. I think, Jared, is it cheating? Is this is what they've done this time? So I asked Ravi that. Yeah. where they sort of made it really tough for the left-handers because of all the spinners and the amount of lefties that we had um, in that series against India. I thought that was genuine cheating yep. because that was an unfair advantage. This is. The same for both teams. Do you think it's cheating? It's uh, if uh, isn't there a saying going around? If it uh, waddles like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's, it's it a duck. duck. <laughs> is Good it answer. any different to different size grounds? Is one uh, question on the text message. I can't see how the different size grounds has much to do with it. To be honest, I mean, it, yeah. the different size grounds are there for uh, for eternity. Everyone. Yeah, so I don't really see that as a as an mm. equivalent. All right, we've been wanting to get our next guest on the program for some time now. I've called him the most impressive man in football. He has done it all, but uh, this may be his biggest challenge yet. He's the new CEO of the once mighty West Coast Eagles. His name's Don Pike. Don, congratulations and thanks so much for joining us on Sports Day. Yeah, thanks guys and uh, good to chat. I guess the, the talk was there for a few weeks at least, and Sydney, I think, were hopeful of keeping you in the position that you'd been so successful with the ball movement and as a senior assistant at the Swans. But ultimately, you, you've taken up the challenge. Why so? Yeah, look, it was uh, it sort of came on the road. Obviously, the, the role hasn't, hasn't existed for 25 years. I mean, Trevor's, Trevor's been there for a long time and done a fantastic job for a club over... Uh, over multiple years and multiple premierships, but when it was announced that they were going through a process to to look at replace his role, it sort of probably piqued my interest in terms of it. It blended together the the two components of my my life, the professional stuff in terms of business, but also the footy stuff, and um, an opportunity to go back and uh, help the footy club, which you know has, has been a significant part of my life, and and certainly was really instrumental in in allowing me to to go and do a whole range of things, um, and something that I feel pretty passionate about. So. That sort of aligned, the stars aligned, and I put my hand up, and uh, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to, to get the opportunity, so really looking forward to it. Don, I've been highly critical of, of West Coast in the last couple of years. I don't think the standards have been good enough, and that's just completely from the outside, um, you know, a thousand kilometres away. I, I think the players have looked heavy. Um, I think just little things in game, like the, the ease of missing tackles, the amount of you know high scores that they've conceded, and the margins in which the team has lost. Um, and I don't think the club appreciated that feedback, but I note in your first comments as CEO, you, you all have almost laid down a challenge to the players that they haven't been good enough and the standards haven't been to the level that's required. Is that accurate? And what have you observed in the last couple of years? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty simplistic. The, sort of, the game's given us the feedback, you know, as a club that what we've produced in the last couple of years haven't been good enough. Now, there's been some circumstances around availability and injury, but... Some of that's also probably to do with 
our preparedness for for, for season or you know you're always going to get the odd um, uh, you know just unfortunate injury whether it be a shoulder mm. or a broken arm or something else but um, the games sort of told us we haven't been performing anywhere near the level we've got a younger squad coming in we've got some really exciting young players we've got some very good senior players but um, I think that's the challenge for us as a club is to go okay let's Let's take that on board and, and attack this pre-season, um, understanding that you know it's just it's about rolling the sleeves up and getting to work. There's no there's no silver bullet here. Um, I know that uh, the game style. I understand that you know, the youth of the group, as well as some of the good players we've got, who you know maybe haven't been able to be on the park consistently. And I think that's uh, that's where we sit. And so that's that's what we've got to we've got to lean into. Uh, congratulations. Uh, it's it's a fantastic opportunity for you, Don, and uh, looking forward to you uh, leading the club back to. The top end, but it, it's an unusual position for a new general manager to be in because normally when a side has been down as low and as for lo- as long as the West Coast, normally the 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 business of the club struggles has, has struggled alongside it. But that would appear not to be the case, and it's it's very much focused on the footy department. So the question then is, given that you've got a major finger in both camps or have had over the journey. Where do you spend most of your time in this uh, in this first few months as you as you reset the club? Yeah, well, I don't I don't officially start till January. I've sort of started having conversations, and probably probably there's an opportunity right now to, to spend a bit more time on the footy side of it. Obviously, yep. once I get into the chair, it's a, a whole club to run. So that's that's all of the divisions and areas of the club. But we're a footy club, so right now the you know the issue for us is as you said is on field and. So I'll spend a bit of time in the next, uh, you know, through to, through to Christmas, really, before I start with just sort of almost as a footy consultant, providing some of my IP and um, helping our coaching group as best they can to prepare to um, to get ready to, to go into battle. So, uh, but once I get in the chair, it'll be you know more of a step back and and obviously start to engage with the the other components of the club, which are as important. And I think it's interesting you mentioned that you know we're sort of seen as a, a big club. We've got a hundred thousand plus members. We've got you know strong balance sheet and seen a successful club, but Reality is that it's all about success on the mm. field, and and as as good as that is, we've got to make sure that our, our core product is uh, uh, we we work on getting that better. From all reports, Simo's taken on uh, a lot of outside advice and has uh, has uh, restructured pre-season very much uh, contested and uh, decision-making pre-season. Yeah, look, he's looking to change things up. I think that the reality is to get back to the core fundamentals. It's it sounds pretty boring and it sounds pretty basic but when you've had the seasons we've had the last two it's it's let's get let's get some some core stuff right in terms of our, our competition our, our pressure stuff um the things that we know go a long way to, to, to getting you into and winning games of afl footy so there's that component obviously we look at our, our conditioning and stuff and we've we've made some changes in our uh, our strength and conditioning department there so there's a fresh voice in there to um uh, for the players and and you know it's it's now just roll it up and and and, and get to work Don, it became really um, combative with the media over there and, and perhaps the club felt like you were treated harshly. There was some you know, ridicule on the front page of the West Australian. There was a, a reporter that travelled with the team wherever they went and there was some really difficult question answer, uh, asked of, of Adam post-game and I don't think he appreciated that. What have you learned from your time at Adelaide where the scrutiny was none more so on you in your time here in Adelaide yeah. and what can you take to the Eagles? Yeah, it's interesting because oh, look, we're always we're always learning and reflecting, and I think that's the uh, obviously my time in Adelaide and and the experience I had there was sort of I came into this role now, going okay, what have what have I learned and what can I apply? And I think the the reality is, 
you know, the, the transparency or the openness with which, you know, you sort of share. And it's never more so than, than now in the in the landscape because, you know, there's there's so much focus, whether it be through social media or through other media outlets. Um, so sometimes it's just if it's a duck, call it a duck. It's, you know, mm. that's that's what we, we I'd like to get to a stage where we'll be, you know, and we can't be, I can't sit here and say it'll be full openness and full transparency, but I think as a footy club, uh, we want to engage better with a whole range of stakeholders, which includes our members, and, and they hear a lot of information through media channels. And um, so hopefully we can get to a point where we're a bit less adversarial than, than maybe we have been in the past with the, the media outlets. It would appear as if uh, you've made your call on Harley Reid. You're going to take him unless something extraordinary happens on the night. What about Daniel Curtin? Would you be prepared to trade for Daniel Curtin, um, potentially a first-rounder, your first-rounder, which uh, if you don't go up the ladder is going to be a pretty handy pick for a Daniel Curtin who looks like he's going to go somewhere between 6 and 10? Yeah, look, we've got some we've got some optionality there. Um, it really depends on 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 really on the night a bit as well as to the order people are taken and who's available. And um, so I know we're having some conversations about what we might be able to do. It's you know, um, look, we'd love to bring as much as much high end talent into the club as soon as we can. Obviously, to to fast track the build. Um, so we'll see what sort of presents on the night. At this point, I'm sort of one out, one back on the on the drafting side of things. I'm, yep. I'm sort of aware of the overall strategy, but. Um, We'll see what happens on the night. Hopefully we can, again, we'd like to bring in as much talent as we can. What's your views on, on rebuilding? You've got no choice at, at the Eagles. That's the path that you've you've started and it's going to be aggressive. But the club you've come from, Sydney, they, they really don't ever rebuild. They, they go down for a year or two max and then try and stay up the top. Geelong have, have done similar, but your previous club Adelaide are five years into a rebuild. I mean, what's the right balance for a club like the Eagles? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I don't know if it's, dependent on the club or just on the way you manage your list and and I think then in the case of uh, I know having been at Sydney you know and this year is a good example they brought in some some ready-made slightly older players but ready-made guys who can probably help and support that that younger crew that they've recruited so you know what three years ago uh, Sydney was 16th and a bounced up made a grand final and, and now adding you know with adding in Jordan and Hamling and Grundy and, and Adams you sort of set them up nicely to, to, to assist the young guys that they've also brought on. So it's always a management. I mean, I don't think any club would necessarily want to go through a full rebuild and drop to the bottom and lose games mm. of footy. So um, it'll be interesting to see how um, how we want to approach that going forward because, um, you know, I've sort of been in various list committee, mismanagement committees, but now, as is, obviously as the CEO, um, to get a strategy around how we're going to set this club up for long-term success, which is ultimately what we want and what our members want. Because you see the game so well, it'd be unusual for a CEO to have a, a game day role. Being in the coach's box, you'd be, you know, at, at pre-game functions and, and managing that side of the business. But have you thought about what you'll do on game day, and could it be in the box? Oh, I haven't even thought about it to be honest. I haven't even contemplated I'd be back in the box. Now, I think it's, you know, I, I think uh, I'll probably, as you say, I've been fortunate, been working in that in that coaching area and understanding the game, um, and I think that to be able to provide that advice to not only Adam but our whole coaching group um, and things on maybe seeing as to how we could how we could train things, how we could educate things, um, but understanding that obviously I've got a I've got a wider a wider briefing than just uh, necessarily game day. I'll hand that over to the coaches. Mm. Well you have a have a say or feedback, I'm sure you'll you'll give feedback, but uh, where where do you see the game developing? I mean it's it's changed dramatically in five years time and uh, the the, uh, the the catch changed it. The Tigers changed it. Um, do, do do you see the Eagles having necessarily to to change their 
the, the way they play the game, given that they tried to do it at the start of the season prior to injury besetting them. But before that, they were very much a, uh, you know, a side that played a, a brand of footy that was probably six or seven years old. Yeah, I think you're right, Jared. I think you know, after winning in 2018, it was the game shifted, and the game continually shifts. I know in Adelaide we sort of grabbed a bit of a jump there early with some of the ball movement stuff to allow us to get through defences, and then mm. the defensive system actually changed, and it made it a lot harder to move the ball. So um, you're right. I reckon a generation in footy now is probably three to five years. Um, you know, and, and and West Coast historically has been a sort of a very kick mark out of the back half, slow yeah, sort yeah. of transition game, whereas the game's going the other way. The game's going more to chaos. And um, I think you're right. That I'm talking to Adam. They were, you know, they were working into that space yeah. uh, last year. And then, unfortunately, getting those early season injuries, man, it, it sort of it dropped back. You're also trying to change the DNA and, and sort of history of guys who've probably got 200 games playing a certain way, which, you know, as you know, can take a bit of time to reprogram. So certainly the direction that Adam wants to take the team is, is down that faster ball movement, down that faster yep. chaotic sort of space. Um, and that's why he's doing some of the training he's planning on doing around you know, decision-making and dealing with pressure situations and understanding that's currently where the game sits. Where it's going to go in the future is really where I want to get us focused mm. on. It's like, let's get ourselves back being competitive winning games, but how do we get back to being, you know, which I think was, has been one of the great strengths of our footy club, is being uh, a leader in, in the game and, and actually being at the forefront, whether it be our sports science stuff, whether it be our game style, whether it be some of the things we're doing off-field. It's, it's, that's where you know, I see the, that's the exciting opportunity for me coming in. Uh, player retention and list management also uh, a massive part and parcel of being a successful club. Can you just give us a brief outline on your thoughts on long-term contracts between five and nine years that upset my co-host so much? <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it seems to me that the dynamic of the landscape is, is there, isn't it? It's yeah. like, um, if it's not, if it's if you're a, a marquee-type player, um, it's, it's, it's seven to nine years. Um, I don't know if that's been driven by the combination of free agency and possibly Tasmania. I'd suggest it has. Um, obviously, it provides great security for the for the player. Um, I think it's one, one thing we we'll certainly have to talk about as a list management group in terms of what our strategy is going to be. But um, the market's the market, and if the market speaks and says that you know that's what's going to you know player retention will, will be and take, um, it's hard to fight the market because otherwise the players will, will explore leaving, and that's no club wants to lose good players. But I, I am probably slightly concerned that there's a, a fair chunk of risk that has to be absorbed by clubs around mm. long-term deals, given. Given the issues that exist in the industry now, which are, you know are real, in, you know you've got concussion mm. issues, you've got obviously just the injury issues, and you've also got mental health components within there. And I think it's the demands on the players are as, as high as ever, and I understand why they want the um, they want that security. It's just a matter of balancing that with the club's risk. And I think you know we'll get to a as we always do as an industry, we get to a happy medium. And just finally, last one: uh, Are you supportive of the opening round the AFL have got with two games in Queensland and two games in Sydney before everyone else starts? Well, look, it's interesting, you know, I've, having worked in Sydney, um, you, you do get a different view on the world, um, having been in historically, you know, really strong footy states, and you get to Sydney, and, and I know talking to the guys from Queensland as well, the, the opportunity that obviously existed to, to put a couple of games there with the rugby league starting overseas, I understand why the AFL's gone down that path, it's, it's an ongoing battle, as Gerard, you'd well know, yeah. you know, in terms of the, the push into those northern markets is... It sounds like it's it's there because you know Sydney's been successful. Brisbane make a grand final, but the cut through after 40 years of Sydney and Sydney is is still nowhere near the level of a West Coast in Perth or an Adelaide in Adelaide. It's it's just a it's a different market. So yeah, I think it's a mm. it's a brave move. I think it's it's great to take the game north, and I think there's an opportunity, a window to get in front of rugby 
Um, anything you can do to try and get that advantage, hopefully we can, we can exploit it as an industry. Don, good luck. We really appreciate your time this evening. I appreciate that, guys, and uh, we'll be in touch during the year. Good on you, We'd Don. Love, all we'd best. love that. Yeah, that's the new CEO of the West Coast Eagles, Don Pike. He's done it all. He's a dual premiership player. He's a coach. He's a successful assistant coach. And now he is the CEO of one of the AFL's biggest. This is Sports Day for Kia's Epic Range. I want you to say on opening round on the other side of this, I've seen a lot of grumbles from uh, AFL fans. You can have your say. The Harcourts line is open. What do you think of opening round? Have your say next. Uh, it's a big sports day too. Welcome in to our new audience joining us for the first time this evening. If that is you, Don Pike, the new CEO of the West Coast Eagles, was with us moments ago. If you've missed it, you can catch up on the podcast. And Jared was really strong on the back of England, re- sorry, India, requesting a specific pitch for their semi-final tonight against New Zealand. They want it low, they want it slow, <laughs> um, and we're not happy about it. Darren Lima's not happy either, Jared. He What's- went to Twitter. Well, Buff said, fresh pitch for ICC events a must. Yeah. Not even a question just should happen. He was listening to you. Well, it's it's incredible that some of the countries haven't come out, Kane. I mean, they must be scared of uh, the BCCI who can really buy the whole lot of cricket right now, if you like. But it, it just staggers me. I mean, imagine if the equivalent was on a finals. In somehow, you, you created a similar equivalent for an AFL game of footy. Mm. The mm. lines here would blow up. And they'd blow up Imagine. and they'd never be fixed. <laughs> Optus wouldn't be able to get uh, their lines organised quick enough to uh, get it rewired. Be lights out. Be all over. Uh, our switchboard would be in uh, uh, meltdown. Uh, very shortly, Jed Walter is one of the guns who will be selected inside the top two or three And whilst you're talking draft. about here, Kane, if I can just butt in very quickly. I was talking to a, a manager, a recruiting manager today, who had Ethan Reed as number three. Ooh. The six, the 206 centimetre... Ruckman, who can yep. uh, run, who, who was second. I think he, he did a uh, a five 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 fifty five two uh, k ridiculous, ridiculous yep. athleticism. Gets twenty possessions a week. Two hundred and six centimeters. He he may he should be pushed at number three. Somebody the the Gold Coast will need to match him at number three. Well, Jed uh, played with him, so we'll ask him that question. Okay. Just how good is uh, Ethan Reed? And we'll talk about opening round shortly. I'd love your thoughts on that because there's been outrage. Social media has blown up. Victorian fans aren't happy. It's uh, Sydney and Melbourne on the Thursday, Brisbane and Carlton on the Friday. Uh, that's at the Gabba. Then it's Gold Coast and Richmond on Saturday. And then the Giants and Collingwood in a rematch of the prelim final. Right, let's open up the Harcourt's open line. Let's head to Geelong and speak to Brad. What do you think about this pitch controversy, Brad? Yeah, g'day, boys. I think um, being a bit blown out of proportion, I mean, you go to India and you expect to hit a few dust bowls, don't you? Well, you do um, normally, but not when the ICC are running a World Cup. This is a I, World Cup. I think it's totally different. Then there should be some sort of intervention. Yeah, fair enough too. But I reckon, you know, probably the Aussies could have um, looked at tailoring their team a bit better to cope with those wickets. You know, look at the first game where they got absolutely rolled by India. Mm. All right. So Brad, Brad just thinks part and parcel of playing in India. But I think it's different when it's an independent tournament. And when you are, you know, in a test series over there, you can actually prepare for that. You can yeah. take the squad that those players are suited to in those conditions and you can plan for it. I'm sure New Zealand were expecting Indian conditions, but not to not to this extent. Yeah, three days uh, out. It's a bit late to make the call three days rough. out. John wants to respond some to some comments I had about Jack Ginnivan not reporting on day one of Hawthorne's preseason training. What do you think, John? 
Hey, Kane, how you going? Hi, Jared. Good. Uh, just a quick one, Kane, and I respect you for all your comments. I'm normally on your side all the time, but this one I don't agree with. Um, there, there was comments made earlier on in the piece about Jack being given an extra week due to the playing the grand final and um, that he was going to be away. So I think, you know, your comments were a little unfair that he didn't report on day one. I mean, mm. the kid's 20 years old. He's about he's gone to another club. I think we should respect that and give him another go. I think he'd actually be good for the Hawks. But I just thought I'd just give you a call just to keep you on your toes because, I mean, normally I'm always on your side, but this one, I believe that... Uh, we need to let it go through to the keeper and give him another chance. Don't yeah, you think? Yeah. We believe no. he's up at Byron Bay. You're in South Kingsville. <laughs> Have you seen him? <laughs> Is that no, close? I haven't seen him. South Kingsville's just under the West Gate, so he wouldn't be near me. <laughs> oh, I must be thinking, what's, what's the uh, one that's <laughs> King's Cliff, is it? He might be running over the West Gate. <laughs> Well, no, seriously, I, I respect your opinion, John, and a lot of people have shared a similar view to you. And, and I said exactly that. He didn't have to be there. Like, by law, he's done nothing wrong. In fact, he's probably got three or four weeks up his sleeve. But I just think it would have been perfect. And in an ideal world, he's spoken about having a big preseason. It is day one. I saw Todd Goldstein there. He's 34 for his first session. I saw Liam Shields there. The guy's played 16 seasons and Jack Ginneman just had to turn up. Just do, just do the the running and skill session, then take off. Um, I just think it would have been a really nice first impression. one 736 736 So, Jared, this opening round's caused a stir. Kingscliff is what I was thinking about. Kingscliff. Yeah. There you go. Just south um, of the border. So, a fair way away. Yeah. Um, was our man. Are you, you supportive of it? I haven't... Uh, yeah, I'm very supportive, Ken. I, I can't see the negative in it. I mean, ultimately... What we've got is we've got round one stays the same. So there's there's nobody getting anything taken away from them in uh, Victoria or anywhere else around the country. We've got an extra week of footy. I mean, there's nothing worse than that uh, that that flat first week between practice matches and and the mm. the kickoff. So I don't, I don't. And there's a there's a major need for the game to continue to grow up in the northern climb. So I just think it's a, a really a, a major. Win for everybody. I, I'm not sure what the uh, what the negatives are, and I don't I don't hear any Sydney supporters whinging about it. I don't see anybody from the Gold Coast or Queensland whinging about it, and and I'm just not sure what the what the negative is for anybody living here in Melbourne or in the southern states. No, I, I don't get it either. Uh, but I, so that's why I wanted to ask the fans because they're they're the ones that we care about, and they're the ones that seem particularly upset about it. I think they feel like it's a bit of a gimmick from the AFL. It's a bit reactionary to the NFL when they don't need to be reactionary. It's creative, not a gimmick. The, yeah, and it, footy starts earlier. So it's yeah. like, okay, we'll, we'll sit back, we'll watch four really good games. Like, I think there's storylines in just about all of the games. Can't wait for, you know, Grundy against Melbourne. I'd, I'd love to see what condition Oliver's in and, and how Melbourne respond and how angry they want to start their season. I'd after love to the see criticism. the Giants stadium full, and it will be full. All, all of that, uh, you know, we've got Dimmer up against... Richmond, you know, we've got the Dustin Martin story and then, you know, two teams are going to be right up the pointy end, I believe, in, in Carlton and Brisbane going at it on the Friday night. So I don't get it. I guess the only thing is, could they not just have had everyone else play as well? So we still could have had this, yep. these games in, in Sydney and Queensland, but still have the other games on but as then, well. But then that uh, brings the season Dilutes. forward or what? Yeah. Well, that, that's it, but I don't know if that's a, that's a bad thing. So, I mean, in some ways it's an advantage for the Melbourne clubs going because they'll have... Two buys through the season. I'll have one in and around round six or seven, I think it is. And then they have another one 
which is what the AFL Players Association, the players always wanted. They wanted one after round eight, round 16, and and divided into three the season. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I can't quite see the negative, but I do accept there has been a bit mm. of grumbling from some. But you just wonder whether or not it's uh, the squeaky wheel getting the oil. Yep, and we'll uh, speak to the AFL tomorrow after the full fixture will be released and we'll get uh, the insight into the way that they've done it. Sam Edmund reporting this morning on SEM Breakfast that uh, with the fixture, and you've touched on this earlier on in the week, 14 Thursday night games in the first 15 weeks of the season, but most likely none after that. And that's the question we need answered tomorrow, Kane. Why is it so? <laughs> so the... Actual official round one will be Carlton and Richmond, yeah. Collingwood and Sydney on the Friday night, Essendon and the Hawks at the MCG, Geelong and the Saints uh, at GMHBA. Now, that will be the first time Geelong Stadium is full capacity. I think finally after that is done. Melbourne and the Dogs, Port and West Coast at Adelaide Oval and then Fremantle and Brisbane. one 736 is the Harcourt. We're going to get Jared Daffy on from the, uh, the tab later yes. on. Who would be favourite between the Giants and Collingwood and who would be favourites between Melbourne and Sydney, given okay. their, their away teams, the what I think should be the notional favourites? Okay, it's amazing that I would say the Giants would be favourite against the reigning Premier. Now, with a, sometimes the Premiers take a little bit more time to yes. snap into action after the, the celebrations and all of that. And at okay. home, I'd go the Giants and then... Not much splits Sydney and Melbourne other than the SCG. So the SCG factor probably means that Sydney are our favourites. Yeah, the local money seems to, to flow, particularly yeah. out of Sydney. Whether it's educated or uneducated money, I'm not sure. But, uh, I mean, to me, the latter suggests that uh, the reverse should apply. But I'm probably with you. I, I think uh, the weight of money from the, the local Sydney fans will swing it that way. All right, Tom Harley, the CEO of the Swans, was on with Jared this morning, and he he had his say about what it means for his club in opening round. Um, as an AFL club, we sit here waiting, watching our competitors get a bit of a runway um, start uh, on us, um, and often we actually play away uh, in round one. So what a great opportunity for the club, what a great opportunity for the code, and as I say, we'll be certainly celebrating the kickstart of our 150th year as a, as a football club. All right, Tom Harley there, clearly supportive of it from a Sydney perspective. I was going to ask you quickly, Jared, who would be favourites out of Gold Coast and Richmond? Uh, I think Gold Coast, to be honest. I think that, um, yeah, I think the new coach always has a, a, a bit of an impact. They've got a good list. Richmond's uh, got a new coach as well, so uh, that's going to neutralise that to a degree now that I think about it a little bit more often. It may come down to Dusty. It may come down to whether Dusty is Dusty. It may come down to our next guest because he'll be playing. I'm okay. sure of it. He's an AFL, uh, well, he's a young gun who is heading to that club, the Gold Coast, under a new coach in Damien Hardwick. Uh, his name is Jed Walter. Jed, thanks so much for your time on Sports Day. Hey, how you going? Uh, we've read a lot about you. We're excited. Nothing gets us more excited than a young up-and-coming key forward who's ready to eventually take the competition by storm. How are you feeling at, You know, just under a week out from the draft? Uh, yeah, it's a really weird feeling. I mean, been looking forward to this moment for my whole life, so it's a really weird feeling. I'm over in WA at the moment, just catching up with family and kind of taking it all in before the big week. Do you feel like you don't quite get the same experience as the players that aren't linked to a club, like an academy player? There's a bit more uncertainty, whereas for you, your, your future's been locked in for some time now. Yeah, it's definitely a bit easier, obviously, not having to worry and not have that stress or that pressure on you, but... um. Obviously, you're still going into it because you never know 
what happens until a draft night and your name's called out. So I don't really think about it too much. I just go about it as if anyone else was, if I wasn't tied to a club. So take us through your early years of football. Why did you pick AFL football when you had, uh, clearly if you grew up on the coast, you had the choice of uh, any code? Yeah, so originally from Western Australia. Mm. So um, the family, my nan, my pop, my mum, always been massive AFL fans. So I think it just started from there. And then when we when I moved to the Gold Coast um, at eight years old, mum said she'd get me into a footy team straight away. So when we moved to the Gold, she got me into just a local footy club and yep. it just started from there. So were you a West Coast supporter? Yeah, hard West Coast supporter, yeah. How have you seen the game develop in Queensland since you joined that footy club of, uh, as an eight-year-old? Yeah, so when I first moved over, funny to say that, a, a couple of my mates that I went to school with all thought I'd um, make the tr- transition and play um, rugby because mm. it was definitely the biggest sport there at the time. But obviously our family love um, AFL and I love AFL. So um, it's grown heaps over the last couple of years and it, I reckon it's going to take over league soon. So, yeah. Really? Was the competition like strong? Did you feel like you're always up against stronger opponents, or did you feel like you dominated junior footy and was that at all to your detriment? Uh, well, I played a bit like of my own age group. Obviously, I was a bit bigger, so used to have good games and stuff. But as I obviously got older and played a high level footy, I played against always played against an older age group. So definitely was challenging, but I always had that size, so made things a little bit easier. But knew everyone was always going to catch up. Have you discussed uh, your future with any other clubs or are they just all accepting that you're going to the Gold Coast? Um, yeah, obviously I've had interviews with other AFL clubs. I mean, I mean, nothing's set in stone till draft night. So I know crazier things have happened. So I just go about it as if I'm not tied to a club and just mm. um, speak to another club normal as, as if I'm not tied to a club. Mm. Have you played at all in defence? Uh, yes, a little bit when I was growing up. I um, played a bit centre-half back. Because the one thing that the Gold Coast have got, they've got plenty of tools. You're, you're another uh, option. But uh, I know uh, Nick Rewald, he started on a wing. He moved around a little bit, played a bit of it centre-half back, as did uh, Justin Kaczynski, who were uh, real old guys uh, mm. for, compared uh, with, with where you're at. But uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you start as a forward if you are going to uh, inevitably become a forward. Uh, yeah, exactly right. I mean, I'm just happy to be playing AFL footy if I get to a club. So I think that's the main goal. Um, as long as I'm playing, I'm happy. I'm interested in your thoughts on Ethan Reid. I saw his highlights in uh, one of the Allies games, and uh, he couldn't have been more impressive. He he looks like he could uh, play centre-half back himself, even though he's a ruckman. Yeah, we call him the unicorn. I mean, you can play him anywhere. You can even chuck him on the wing. His tank's so good. Yeah. So, He's an, he's an unreal player. He's got such a good running capacity and um, really good by foot as well. So, yeah, he's a very good player. Tell us a bit more about him then. Like you were calling me a unicorn. They're calling Wembenyama in the in the NBA an alien. Oh, he, he may be our version of, of the alien, but j- just expand a bit more on why he's so special. Um, obviously a bloke at that size. I mean, he moves very well, um, covers the ground really well, and he's got a good tank so he can get to contest the contest and I think um, that's where it, that's his point of difference um, when he's playing Ruckman like his size that he can outrun him and then also get back um, into de- defence and take an intercept mark so yeah. I mean he just covers the ground really well and obviously an elite by foot so very good player How good, how exciting for the Gold Coast We are chatting to AFL draft prospect Jed Walter, he's a, an academy player or will be joining the Gold Coast Suns when the draft 
uh, happens on, on Monday night. You, you had a bit of a knee niggle this year through the championships. How severe was it and, and how's the body now? Um, it wasn't too severe. Um, it was more precautionary. I mean, it was a bit sore um, as I was playing throughout the national champs um, later in the back half of the games. But um, did my rehab stuff and it's all good now. Missed the combine. But um, yeah, it's all going well now. And I, There was no point pushing it um, instead of trying to settle it in the off-season instead of now I can kind of build into the off-season and, and set myself up for next mm. year. And the comparisons to Charlie Kernow have been there. I mean, is he someone that you've you've looked up to and modelled your game on or is there someone else? Um, I love Kerner. I've always watched him. I um, try to pick things out of his game. So he's definitely the main player. Obviously, try to look at all different types of players, um, key forwards. Um, but yeah, he's definitely the main one. I just love the way he goes about it and flies at the footy. Amazingly, he's just flashed up on the TV screen in front of us uh, <laughs> on the Nine News. But tell me this, if you're his coach... What would you have advised him to do when he was brutalised by Stephen May in the final? Um, um, no idea. Probably show a bit of more aggression, I reckon. Okay. I mean, I mean, that's the hard. That is the hard part. It's a. I think it's the most difficult position to play on the ground because of the spare defenders now and the way that teams guard space. I don't. You don't get the one-on-one duels that you used to in the in the nineties and the early two thousands. What tricks have you learnt? to maximise your opportunities? Because sometimes you don't get a whole lot as a key forward. Yeah, obviously the game's changed so much over the years. So there's a lot more that goes into it now. I mean, you have your third defender that comes up. So it's not always one-on-one. So you've got to adapt to that. So I know probably just um, different leading patterns and stuff. Just keep moving. I mean, make it harder for the defender worrying about where you are and where the ball is. So, mm. yeah. Have you ever played up the ground in the middle? Uh, a little bit when I was younger. Okay. Um, played in the middle in the middle a little bit, um, had a bit of a run around there, but um, don't think I'll be going back in there for a while. And when you had a chat to Damien Hardwick, uh, what you talk about? Uh, I just spoke about um, just the year ahead, um, the draft coming up, um, just about him moving to the Goldie, how excited he was and how exciting times it is for the Suns. So I think he's a really great addition for the Suns and I think he's going to lead them um, to some success in the future. And where do you mm. live on the Gold Coast? Well, I'm just in Talabudra, so about 10 minutes inland from Burley, so only about yep. 10 minutes from the beach, but have a little bit of land as well, so I kind of got the best of both worlds. And that, that's with the, your parents who moved there when you were eight, and they're, they're still there, and what, do you plan on staying at home for, for a year or two yet? Uh, yeah, that's the plan. I mean, that's the lucky thing if I end up at the Suns. I don't have to move out of home, so it makes it a bit easier, so yeah. Yeah, how good. And what does draft night look like for you? Will you be there in person? Yeah, so I'm just flying over there on Sunday just before the draft, and then I'll be there for draft night. Mm. All right. And if there's a Gold Coast person that you would like to present the jumper to you, your first Gold Coast jumper, who would it be? Do you think they could get the little master Gary Ablett there on the night or not? Yeah, I read about that. I'm not too sure who they're going to get. Um, no idea, but that'd be pretty cool if it was the little master. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck, Jed. Oh, we've heard great things, and uh, it is the best time to be a young footballer about to live out your uh, boyhood dream. So can't wait to, as I say to a lot of the pro- prospects we have on the program, watch you for the next 15 years. It's going to be a joy. Appreciate your time. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me on. Jed Walter there, Jared. So very yes, impressive young fella, Kane. He's, uh, yeah, he's pick two yep. would would be where he sits. Some would have him pick Hollywood. one. Some would definitely have him pick one. Yeah, and I can see why. Yeah, like Charlie Kerno. Like if he's 
going to be that. Like you'd like, you would love that in, mm. in your footy club. I mean, everyone could do that. There's probably 10 clubs that need big key forwards now. And he's got the size and the mobility and the tricks to, to be a very, very good player. Like, like Charlie Curnow has been one, 736 That was Jed Walter. All thanks to our friends at mate fair dinkum internet without the fuss. You can score a mobile deal as good as a Sam Kerr worldie with mate. Speaking of worldies, Daniel Garb's going to talk some football of the world game variety with us very, very shortly. Heaps of text coming through on the fixture and also the pitch, Jared. Just getting back to, to Kerno, Kane, question without notice. Based on you know how uh, difficult he found it in the finals campaign, do you think they need to play him a little bit differently through the season? I mean, clearly he dominated the season, but the finals footy becomes... More difficult, less opportunities for the tall marking forwards. Ball doesn't come in with any surety. The question is, should he play more time up the ground? And and they develop another avenue where he can just release himself for five minutes a quarter. Three goals in the three finals. So 15 touches and a goal against Sydney in the elimination final. Nine and one against Stephen May, as you said. And then he was so quiet against Brisbane. So the answer to that question is, what are you going to get from Harry Mackay? So a lot revolves around Harry Mackay. If mm. he can be the player that they've signed him to be and that he has shown he can be as the deeper target inside 50, then Kerno can do as he likes. Like we saw when Buddy Franklin doesn't touch the footy in the first 10 minutes, you see him on the wing. Yeah. You see him at half back. You see him demanding one twos. You see him kicking the ball inside 50. Kerno can do all of that. He can. Pro- provided that Harry Mackay is there to be the target, which he hasn't been reliably there to be. And he had the knee injury and all that and form issues. So I think they've they got another that... option into Coning. You know, I think yeah, that uh, well, De Coning could also come out really of the goal good. square. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a budding star, De Coning. If you're talking about players who may break out this year, I, I like him in the ruck more so yeah. than forward. I just think he's got the aggression, the mobility in the ruck. And where that leaves Pitnet, who they've signed for four years, I don't know. But I love Carlton. I love Carlton's prospects this year. I think they've had the finals taste of it. They've won a couple. They've been really competitive. They know what it takes now after missing for so long. And then often that's what you need to to go the next step. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to see Kerno up the ground. Um, and he'll still kick his 60. Yep. But it just gives him a bit more freedom and it makes it a bit more tricky for the opposition to, to maul him like they did in that final series. Uh, all right. Uh, g'day, fellas. Great listening. I'm in my 60s when Lily and Tomo were at their best. The Gabber and the Whacker were super quick wickets, says Mick. You think it's different to that, though, don't you, Jerry? I do with the World Cup. I mean, the Gabber is just historically a quick wicket. It, uh, you know, that we've been beaten by sides with fast bowlers up there as well. The West Indies always, uh, you know, they were always successful up there. Uh, so I don't see that as changing too much. Mm. I don't see that as a call. That's uh, that's just something that's a natural occurring event, whereas you ring up and say, cut two centimetres of the grass off, well, please. All right. Mozza has his say on the fixture. I think the opening round is a great idea. I would also love to see the Eagles and the Dockers derby be played in the bye week on a Saturday night as a standalone game to promote West Australian football. Um, why no Carlton and Richmond game in round one, says Dion. Well, it is, Dion. It is. It's just a week later. That is round one, but it's not the opening round. I know it's a little bit confusing, but Carlton and Richmond still get uh, that round one game at the MCG. Bill says, I'm wrapped with round zero. Great to see the Blues more than once up here. Uh, and Gerard and Kano, the round one fixture seems to be a reaction to Sydney being disgruntled with the AFL with Adelaide getting the gather round for next few years. 
it was never a problem to change round one before Adelaide's big contract with Gather Round. What are your thoughts? Says Frank's a bit of a cynic, Jared. So Sydney missed out on Gather Round. Adelaide have signed it long term. And this is a make-up from the AFL, reckons Frank. No, I don't think that's anywhere near the issue. I think we've had a change of management. And I think they've known that they've uh, that they have neglected the northern um, states as far as promotion, and uh, they're trying to play catch up. And uh, when the AFL, sorry, the NRL opened up the doors for them by going having their first round overseas, uh, it was an opportunity that was presumably seen as too good to miss out on. And I think that uh, the new CEO Andrew Dillon has made it one of his platforms that uh, footy has to get better and stronger in the two northern states where they've invested so much money. Sports days for Kia, their epic range, the Sportage, the Seltos, the EV6 GT, and for Maccas, 30 days, 30 deals is back at Maccas. Daniel Garb's a ripper. He's a big West Coast man as well, but we've got him on to talk some football. Thank you for your company on Sports Day. What a show it has been. Of, uh, I hope you have enjoyed it. Jed Walter, the supposed number two pick in the draft, he wasn't he impressive. And Don Pike taking up a huge job as yep. the CEO of the West Coast Eagles. He was great. And we're building up to the big semi-final, which you'll hear live on SEN between India and New Zealand before we take on South Africa in the semi-finals of the World Cup. Of course, you'll hear that live right here on SEN. But there's also a big weekend of AFL action Upcoming, so let's preview one of the semi-finals. It is the Cats taking on the reigning Premiers Melbourne at Icon Park on three at three o five on Sunday, and the coach of the Cats joins us. Dan Lowther is his name. Dan, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Kane. Cheers. Oh, it was an impressive performance against the Bombers. Dominated the football, played a high kick, Mark Gaiman, and got them on the outside. Firstly, before we talk about Melbourne, what impressed you most about your first finals victory this year? Uh, it was look to, to be able to score and score early was um, was the main point from last season in our um, elimination final against the Kangaroos. We struggled to kick a goal um, in a game where we, we thought we had fair, fairly um, good use of the footy and significant inside fifties. We just couldn't get a score, so to score in the first you know thirty seconds of the game was um, was what we're after. But um, yeah, as you said before, our inside to outside ball movement in the first half was was exciting to watch. Um, got a bit stodgy after half time and. Uh, late in games and um, you know put the screws on us a little bit too, which um, which stopped the flow a bit. But uh, that first half in particular was good to watch in terms of our ball movement style. Dan, I was listening to uh, Craig Starcevich, um during last week prior to his final against uh, the Crows, and he said at the end he thinks that AFLW now contains the best athletes, female athletes in the country uh, within it. And his words were ringing in my ear when I tuned in and have a look at your side. You have got some of the most athletic, tall girls, women, that uh, I've seen in the AFLW. So uh, you've, you've got some athletes there. A couple look like Mark Glitzarves and uh, have got the same sort of uh, skill set. Yeah, we've, um, we've been strategic, that's for sure, and trying to find the right type of player that can, that can play the game itself but also have an impact athletically. And um, you're probably referring to Ashley Maloney, who uh, hails from Ireland and, uh, you know, just some of the stuff that she's been doing as a, yeah. a six-foot-one um, you know, player who's not played the game at all, but yep. just looks to have um, have uh, captured the game beautifully. So her run and jump and launch and and evasiveness has been um, has been super to watch. So um, yeah, she's certainly exciting and very quickly becoming the face of the competition. So tell us a bit more about that strategy. I mean, what have you identified that uh, is successful in this game as an athlete, and and do you think the athletes are going to become bigger and more mobile? Well, because Kane like. You know, if you take the AFL back, say, you know, three or four seasons, there was still that 
and still there is, to be fair, the dual athlete model. Um, uh, but now the footballers are starting to come a bit more prevalent in the competition as the, as the pathway system becomes older. So um, there still needs to be the athlete, but there, there needs to be the complement of fundamentals. So from our perspective, our strategy was to, was to build a program that's, uh, that represented fundamentals first um, and then the, the athletic component second. But, you know, going to Ireland to, to find players who have a similar fundamental base um, with the way they play their game so that that can fast-track the fundamentals of athleticism was um, mm. was one part of our strategy and that seems to be working well. And, and we've got a couple of Irish players as well but um, they complement that part. So um, it's working for us so far but um, it, it all comes down to kick Mark Campbell and then and build the athleticism off the back of that. It is a land of milk and honey for AFL clubs and uh, AFLW certainly right into it but it staggers me, Dan and uh, Kane, that is AFL clubs men who still turn their back on it. It's just crazy. I mean, it's just, it's a free hit. And I can't, for the sake of a, a couple of flights over there and a little bit of money in your, your soft cap, it, it actually astounds me that um, every club isn't in there. Yeah, well, we're lucky at our club. We obviously, we have uh, three, three Irish guys on our, on our men's list and we've got three in our, in our women's list as well. But, um, you know, for the girls in particular, um, until the competition um, you know, gets stronger, it needs more time, clearly, for that. Yeah. But this is this is their chance for a free hit to come over and trial it. Yeah. Losing nothing from it, gaining lots from it. Uh, and so are we, which is the important part. So mm. you can't, we don't go over there with an idea of just um, recruiting anybody. We're quite strategic again with um, what we're targeting. But, um, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a free hit. Dan, we spoke to Darren Crocker um, earlier on in the week. It might have been on Monday, and his performance against Melbourne was as good as we've seen in terms of the pressure game, 104 tackles that they laid, and they were just all over them. I'm sure you've watched that game back already, and is it a similar strategy that your group is capable of replicating? Uh, I love the strategy. I saw 104 tackles. I just don't think we can sustain that with the way yeah. we, we like to play our system, and um, again, it's uh, you know it takes a lot of energy and, and, and concentration to, to nail that consistently. We'll aim for that clearly. What what Melbourne are great at a number of things are great at, but clearly they're they're running carry from stoppage. Uh, the way they link up and attack uh, with their inside mids, their outside runners is is exceptional. So we need to make sure that we're strong around contests. We're also denying the outside run, and it's easy to say than do. But um, if we're consistent in that space, so clearly uh, North Melbourne were fantastic. What I did notice was that the Kings quite physical around the ground with um, the way they approached, uh, you know, ruck contests, 1v1s. Um, they look really sold up for the fight. So we've just got to make sure we, you know, we maintain and, um, that as much as we can. And it's going to be a hard task, but um, something we've certainly learned, learned from our, our early game in the year. What happened in the earlier game? We let them do everything I just said then. We, uh, okay. you know, we just, uh, you know, we just weren't... I thought we were quite um, consistent in the first day, quarter and a half. After half time, the floodgates opened a bit. Again, um, you know, playing a, a run-fast-gun uh, game uh, isn't sustainable if we're not stopping and slowing the game down and controlling tempo. And we just weren't allowed to control the tempo as much as we'd like. We've learned a lot and changed a lot since, um, since that time. But uh, we can't fall back into that type of um, game where it's just on the go because they've got, you know, about you know, five, six, seven deep in regards to so you can go through the midfield. Clear that their outside runners are, are quite exceptional. They've got great connections. So we're going to try and somehow um, disconnect the way they play and, and the Kangaroos did it beautifully in the weekend with their, with their tackle pressure. And that's a great start. So it's, um, that's what we'll aim for from the start of the game. Speaking of Geelong's AFLW coach, Dan Lowther, they take on the reigning premiers Melbourne and Icon Park on Sunday in a semi-final. I was really critical of a game I saw Port Adelaide play and they, they just capitulated in the dying stages and, and lost an unlosable game. 
Now, that doesn't seem to be the case with the top end of uh, the sides at the top of the ladder. How much time have you spent on strategy and milking the clock, either chasing a, a lead late or protecting a lead? Uh, we train every week, um, Kane. We, we, I, I, refer, I know the game you're talking about. Uh, it cost us probably a potential spot in the ladder, to be fair. Right. But, um, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where time and practice, clearly, uh, but also making it... Uh, a part of your training habits as well. So we will regularly, like we have match practice uh, every every session, 10, 15 minutes of um, scenario-based uh, training. So, yeah, we'll take the, the three-minute countdown, two-minute countdown, boards out, and we'll, we'll train different scenarios, different parts of the ground, and, you know, just for those types of moments. And um, even on the weekend, even though we had a comfortable lead against the Bombers, there were, there were times where we had to pull a trigger on, um, you know, a late-and-quarter scenario that we're trained, and it, it kind of just flowed quite naturally. So it's an important part of our, our training um, and again, time practice and, and making sure you implement it's really important too. How much? How many hours on the track do you do in a lead up to a final? Uh, yeah, it, we'll keep things consistent to what we do during the season. Only being a short season, clearly, uh, yeah. we don't change too much. So we play Sundays. So we just alter the days we train. Tonight's our main session, so we'll do a, a good, probably you know, um, say 50, 55 minute um, skill session on the track with some match practice at high intensity. Um, but I say that it'll probably go for about an hour and twenty. To be fair, um, there's conditioning before it, and there's yeah. strength post it. So it's a, it's a good, you know, two hours of training, um, and then the, the girls can get into recovery and appear at the club and whatnot. And we do that three times a week. So we just want to pull it, pull the uh, the reins back on um, Friday for our, our our last session, but the intensity still slight. So um, they get enough contact um, and, and preparation to. to practice playing the game because um, you know, we, we can't not practice the, the type of intensity required for the weekend. So, yeah, we, it's pretty important we get that right. What do, mm. uh, what do your pupils have more d- difficulty in mastering, kicking or handballing? Uh, I'd say the kicking, um, Jared, is something that it was a, a big focus for us when we first started to make change to the program. Yeah. Uh, we gave our girls kick assessments, distance, timing, accuracy, um, so we could really, you know, give them some specific feedback on this is the reality. Um, until we get these things more accurate and, and kick further, uh, we can't implement maybe what you might be seeing on TV as opposed to this is how the game looks. Yep. But the reality is we need to play a game within our own attributes and strengths. So, um, you know, we've become, you know, top two efficient, you know, kick Mark Hamble team across the competition. So yep. we're quite proud of the fact that we've, the fundamentals are starting to take care of themselves. Now it's, um, and we can implement a greater game style that can support um, the way we can move the ball. So, yeah, super important, mate, kicking for me. Yeah, just from a, a, a distance, I, my, my gut feeling is, uh, from what I've seen, kicking's improved immeasurably over three years. Handballing's uh, yeah. improved. You know, it's improved, but it hasn't improved anywhere near the same rate. And it's kicking was coming from a lower base. I'd, I'd accept that. Yeah, I think the, the thing for handball for me is it's um, understanding where your support uh, players are. So... One thing we're quite good at at the moment, this is me being utterly biased, of course, is um, you know, the, the thinking of always getting the ball forwards to goal isn't always the smartest and, and, and best way to go forward. Yeah. So, um, you know, lateral lag behind handballs, you know, you have structures in place to be able to support the inside to out. And I think that's something that I've got better at over the course of this season is that our players inside know where our outside support is. And sometimes that's backwards. Um, but then driving out with your legs to run to get your balance and you might find yourself free to kick or you might find yourself in a better position to, ha- to handle efficiently. So all of that takes time and practice. And as we keep saying, it's, you know, a 10 week uh, season with a, you know, doesn't really give you a chance to fail as much and, and, and practice in real time again, but it's getting better. So that's, that's the yep, main thing. Sure.
Patrick Dangerfield was pretty quick on Twitter. Straight after you won, he said, uh, so when the Cats men play and earn a home final, we play at the venue that fits more. Surely the AFL women's follow this rationale. Um, Dan, is that a view shared by the club? This game should have been at uh, GMHBA? Um, oh, look, I think if you earn a home final, go for it, play. I, I was wrapped that we got to play at GMHBA last week. Uh, I think we had close to 6,000 there, which was, which was oh, six and a half, I think it was, to be fair. Um, yeah, I think if you earn the right to play. It was interesting last week when they played Icon as opposed to Casey, but I think it needs to be accessible to the fans to get there and, and support their, their team. But, um, yeah, it's, the venue needs to be right. It's been well documented around the competition that all venues aren't quite up to, up to standard, but they're getting better. So I think the venue that helps everybody um, you know, on-field and off-field is important as well. Mm. What about the technology for finals? Is it is the full arc up and running? If there is a contentious, you know, goal line review that needs to be looked at, yeah. no, I'd like to think that maybe with all the, um, you know, KO and Fox style that we could take a moment to pause and rewind just to be sure if that's the the, the baseline of um, of checking for the AFW. Obviously, the venues don't all cater for the the same. Um, uh, technology is what we could do at GHBA but, um, and for the AFL men but uh, you know there needs to be something seriously considered around that because it will cost the game it has had mm. an impact during the season as we've seen um, but you know you look at the, the replay on Foxtel and it's, it's enough to say yeah that's a better a better look than maybe just kind of you know winging it and moving on so there needs to be something done and I'm sure the AFL will look at it yeah, Have you checked sure. the uh, forward weather forecast? Oh, I have, mate. I think the weekend's supposed to look, uh, look okay. So a three o'clock game at um, yep. Icon Park, I think it's going to be 20 degrees. So, Perfect. You know, um, dry conditions. Uh, the AFL have organised uh, buses for our supporters, our members, to get from Geelong up to Melbourne and back, which is outstanding. So we're, we're hoping for a bit of a bumper crab with the weather being on our side. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to a great weekend. So, Dan, as a, as a career path, the uh, AFLW coaches, are you, are you full-time or are you full-time only when the season's on? Uh, full-time, mate. So I taught for 16 years uh, yep. and kind of juggled uh, some uh, AFL uh, you know, uh, work duties in between that. Um, so when the gig came up here to apply and get the position, I was uh, part-time to start with. But the last 12 months, I've been full-time. And, and yeah, with the new CBA agreement and the players just wanting more and more access to, to improve, you just need to have staff on board that, um, that aren't fully tied with the AFL men, in my uh, opinion. And me being full-time just in the W program uh, allows uh, that growth and, and that progression to continue. So uh, it's a big help, that's for sure. It's become a bit more cutthroat. Like even just today, uh, Nathan Burke getting getting sacked and you know, he's had a bit of a joke about it on Twitter. But, I, I mean, you've had the success that they haven't had, unfortunately, and that's the way that it goes and the cutthroat nature of the game. We know that. But it starts to hit home, I guess, when you see big names like that sacked. Do you think about that or do you not have time to you know, make the most of your, your time and your opportunities in the game? Yeah, I, I don't, can't say I think about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm clearly a realistic around the fact that once you accept a coaching position, you're, you're going to be uh, either you know, out of it at some point. Just when, when that happens, it's up to performance and, and, and how things progress. So, um, you know, the, the dogs have played finals for a number of seasons and they missed one this year and all of a sudden they heaped on. And being, mm. being a 10 being a 10-game series, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure to get early wins to bank those so that the anxiety around performance, whether you be a coach or a player, can uh, be limited. But, um, you know, it's just something that um, is a reality with any sport, I suppose, that if you're not performing or ex- not many expectations, there's things to be raised and questions to be answered. And hopefully I've got a couple more seasons left in me. Yeah. It's certainly become more poet profile. I'm just looking through the screen into the producer's uh, box at the present time and uh, on Fox Footy, 
the Geelong Essendon game is on. And uh, currently, you're off to a fly, uh, kicking three two <laughs> in the first uh, half dozen minutes to zero. You'd like yeah, that start again half. against the Demons? Oh, it'll be outstanding. It's going to be an interesting battle, to be fair. Like for us, to be a chance to to see how we've progressed um, in the back end of the of the year. And um, you know, the Demons have obviously been a, a premier side, and and they've lost I think three out of the last four games. So there might be a little bit of doubt creeping in, but certainly there's a huge respect for the opposition we're playing against. Chloe Shear won't be there. She's uh, got the hairline fracture to her collarbone. Not as serious as perhaps you first thought. Is it season over or not? Uh, if we were to progress through, mate, I think there might be a chance, however unlikely, that she could still be up for selection the following week. Um, so I think the nature of the injury is that um, it's more of a, a pain tolerance type of injury. So there's nothing the docs can do to try and support her with that. It's just about how she can manage it. So um, she'd be a, a, a chance, but it would be a little bit uh, yeah, unrealistic. But um, mm. you never know. Yeah. Who comes in? Uh, well, we'll get Kate Dowie back. She was out suspended last week. Um, so Kate will come back in the side to support our rucks and our forwards as well. Uh, and then there's, there's another decision to make around um, just how we how we structure up ahead of the ball, whether we go taller or a bit shorter. So, um, you know, with our, our movement last week, the way our forwards connected um, and the way Ashley Maloney played, um, we're going to try and give her as much space as possible to to play against their defence. So at this point, just the one change. What's the breakdown for goals kicked from uh, off the deck or from marks? Uh, I don't know those stats, to be fair. I think how we've scored this year is, uh, is through turnover uh, and more more so from, um, you know, fast play in regards yeah. to, um, you know, live goals uh, as opposed to, to marks. Uh, I think it's something in the AFLW that's, that's getting better is the the way the contested markings for one, but also mm. delivery inside 50 to get that shot. You know, clearly not everyone can kick 45 metres. Um, so it kind of takes away that uh, set shot ability. But, um, yeah, I think the, the balance is starting to kind of get better. Yeah. Yeah, you took 15 marks inside 50 against the Bombers, which is a, a big number, and some AFL men's teams would be jealous of a number like that. It's going to be a cracking yeah. game. Uh, Melbourne looking to bounce back. You're in really good form. Two powerhouses of the competition going at it on Sunday in prime time. Dan, good luck. No worries, guys. I appreciate the call. And just uh, reiterating there, Geelong have organised eight buses for members. They're going to convoy down to Icon Park. Um, so if you are one of those listening and you'd love to get to the game, yep. just uh, go to the club website and find out. But that would be a bit of fun with other supporters, eight buses, head down there, hopefully see a win and then come back. It's like cool. the old days, Jeremy. Oh, you absolutely. would have gone the other way down to Geelong. Everyone will be piling into Peter Spargo's BP service station, stretch the legs, buy the chips, <laughs> uh, etc. And they'll give you two cents off your petrol. Brisbane await the winner of uh, Melbourne and Geelong in the prelim final the following week. Dan Lowther is our guest. And that was all thanks to Bunnings. Don't miss Black Friday deals on DeWalt, Makita and AEG at Bunnings Trade. And tonight, whew, hasn't the hot topic, Jared? you started this with India's oh, pitch doctoring. Uh, that's all thanks to APCO. Win 20 grand cash now at APCO. Apco Cafe 24-7. Just grab yourself two Dare or Big M's to enter and they are open 24-7. Let's get it, it, a sports Before up. you go, Kane, if you do uh, a curating course, <laughs> can you become a professional pitch doctor? <laughs> uh, I think you'd know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, if, you've yeah. Done, if you've gone through that Still, you and, get you stethoscope an and you get the stethoscope and you get the sharp blades. Uh, yeah, you put a bit more water in there. Oh, I don't know. It depends what you want. Do you want it a bit quicker or do you want it to spin? The Indians want it to spin so they dry the thing out and crack it up and... 
um, away you go. So I'm sure they would know what they are doing. Anyway, if you want to continue to have your say on that, send us a text 0433981116. It's time now for a sports update. Thanks to Ty Power. Now on Sports Day, a sports update for Tyre Power, Australia's biggest independent tyre retailer. A few changes for the Aussies, we know that, uh, but the coach is Andrew McDonald. He was on Waitley and he confirmed a couple of those. Yeah, I think the, the two ins from the from the last game will definitely be Mitchell Stark and, and Glenn Maxwell. Obviously, after the, the heroics of Glenn and, and suffering that cramp, there was, there was some risk associated with him taking on Bangladesh, so we heard on the side of caution there. And with Mitch Stark, um, the heavy workload, he had a few niggles coming in, so we felt like it was a a really opportune time just to give him that sort of slight freshen up leading into the semi-final. So he, he'll be a certain starter along with Glenn Maxwell. And then, yeah, the rest we've got to talk through. And um, I suppose the, the ongoing question for most of the tournament's been about how we'll structure up with our batting uh, unit. Uh, we haven't had the full 15 available. Uh, so touch wood, that, that is the case that we've got full 15 fully fit players to to choose from. And yeah, we'll make a decision, as I said, based upon that surface and, and the opponent. But whichever way we go, we feel as though it's, it's going to be a strong looking team and one that we're excited about. It's been a great turnaround from zero to oh, yeah. and yep. felt like it was all caving in. There's been some injuries. Mitch Marsh, your man's had to go home. We've yep. seen the change of wicketkeeper. Travis Head came in late after that broken hand. Um, the bowlers haven't been in great form, Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins, but they've somehow won seven in a row. Andrew McDonald spoke about how they turned it around. Players that we picked and they were able to do a job and Sometimes you get in a, in a situation that you don't want to be in, and that was that zip and two. And, yeah, I mean, there's always conversations um, to, to really recommit to trusting that, that the process that we put in place, that the players that we picked and the style that we want to play would, would work. Um, and there's no doubt you, you'd probably talk to players after the tournament that they may have had their doubts, um, but they certainly didn't show it. Um, it was business as usual. Uh, we went into that Sri Lanka game, and if we remember back that far, they got a really decent start as well. I think it was about one for... 150 and no doubt that the narrative out there might have been slightly different to the one that we were sensing internally we felt that game started to shift and then we got an opening and were able to put our you know, foot in the door and open it right up and, and get the win there and, and and from there it hasn't been smooth sailing um but we've found ways to win we've had different um you know different performers as well and as i said most of the, the players have uh, you know been able to have a significant impact at, at one time or another so they should take great confidence from that. We've seen throughout the tournament, it probably has turned into a, a little bit of a bat-first tournament. And I don't know why it happens, but tournaments tend to take on these types of trends. And we saw even with the um, T20 World Cup that we won in the UAE, where it was a, it was a chasing tournament, where I think it was 85% of games were won chasing. So uh, this one seems to have gone into that space. We, we know South Africa um, favour batting first as well. That's when they're at their best. And and I think you you could arguably say the same for us that um, you know we're we're at our best when we, when we bat first, and, that, and that's what made the win against Bangladesh the other day, um, chasing our highest ever World Cup total, um, impressive as well. It's it's always the the kink in most teams when the, there's a score on the board and and you're chasing, you, it's more difficult to hit that winning run um, than most people imagine. Andrew McDonald, there, what a game that's going to be. Hopefully that rain holds off, which you've been following, Jared. It's time now for our tab update with Jared Daffy. You are listening to Sports Day. We've debated uh, India's request to just fix up the pitch a little bit to suit them in their final against New Zealand tonight. Also, opening round, you've had your say on that. Don Pike and Jed Walter have been our guests. The Socceroos 2026 World Cup qualifying campaign is going to start tomorrow against Bangladesh in Melbourne. To tell us all about it is football commentator and world game expert Daniel Garb. Garby, thanks for your time again. No worries, Kane. Nice to speak to you, mate. 
Bangladesh are going to pack it up and make it difficult. The Socceroos should uh, dominate possession of the ball. Is that, do they pose any threat? I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, stage one of World Cup qualifying is usually straightforward for the Socceroos, especially at home. I imagine it will be tomorrow night. So for those who aren't fully adjusted yet to, to Asian World Cup qualifying, this is stage one. We get through this and then we get put in another group and, and that's when it gets challenging. That's when we have, as we've seen before, it gets a little bit concerning near the end of the group. We have to go through the playoffs and the last couple of World Cups in order to make it. So that's stage two. But stage one, yeah, Bangladesh, Palestine, Lebanon in our group, it'll be pretty much a cruise for Australia. You would think home and away. And it's a long road to the World Cup in North America in 2026. These games are also important tune-ups for the Asian Cup in January. But uh, I'd imagine the Socceroos would have it all on their own terms tomorrow night. It's a good problem for... Uh the world game to have in this country, but what do you think is the biggest brand, Socceroos or Matildas? Good question. Right now, the Matildas, but not by a a huge amount. I mean, let's not forget the scenes a year ago when the Socceroos were at the World Cup and uh, Federation Square was packed and live sites all over the country were uh, were jammed and uh, the Socceroos were the the toast of the nation, but you can't beat a home World Cup. And the the road that the Matildas went on through to the semi-finals obviously set new landmarks in terms of TV ratings in this country and and the crowds were incredible as well so yeah the Matildas I would say would be just above at the moment but uh, not by a, a whole heap the Socceroos brand is very strong and has been for a long time since that 2006 World Cup of course mm. and the Socceroos brand has been uh, right up there with the biggest in, in our sporting nation and it is good for the game on the whole and I think they both feed off each other. Last night, Garby, uh, Jared opened the show by chatting a bit about Mitch Marsh and, and also the extension of that was the sporting figures who have had a huge impact on the Australian sporting landscape in the last 12 months or so. And, and Graham Arnold would be one of those. It's his 59th game in charge. I think that breaks the record in terms of uh, coaches games coached for, for the Aussies. Where does he sit in terms of the impact from, I guess, anyone that's had a huge say on proceedings of Australian sport in the last 12 months? An enormous impact, really. I mean, if you have to cast your mind back to the middle of last year and the lead-up to the World Cup, nobody thought Graham Arnold would be in the job. We all anticipated that he would be sacked. A lot of people thought that would happen before those eventful playoffs against Peru and Andrew Redmayne in goals and everything that he did. Got us through to the World Cup against expectations and then set new marks for Australia at the World Cup in Qatar with two wins in the group stages and you know we were just a, a moment away of course, a big save away from taking Argentina to extra time in that round of 16. Graham Arnold was mocked and mm. bullied by the Australian football fans yep. leading up to that point. And, and plenty in the media as well. Yeah, win a new four-year contract and, uh, and basically win the respect of sporting fans around the nation and certainly football fans. It's been an incredible transformation. He's always had the players. That's one thing I've always marvelled. Despite all the outside pressure, he always had the respect of the players. And to do that with all the noise going on around you, I think is a huge effort. So, um, yeah, his impact has been profound on the game. Now, last time you were on, we had this youngster, Nestori Arakunda. I think I've butchered his name there, Garby, so correct me uh, if you may. But he scored that freak free kick. Then he did the backflip. Then he had some troubles. The opposition came after him. He got sent off. And I asked you how long before someone overseas poaches him. So it's been about three weeks, and I think that was your answer at the time. I'm disappointed to see him go, but not surprised. 
No, not at all. Um, he's from your neck of the woods in Adelaide, Kane. So yes. here in Kunda's the name. Um, yeah, make sure you're. Uh, it's top of mind. With it. yep. Top of mind, I think, in Australian football for a while. Bayern Munich were trying to get him at the end of last season. The deal, for whatever reason, didn't quite eventuate. But after the way in which he started this season, and with Ange Postecoglou going to Tottenham, and I think Ange was saying to people there, uh, try and get this kid if you can. Um, that might have pushed Bayern a little bit further. But they always had the inside running. They've signed him now. It's a domestic transfer record, a huge financial windfall for Adelaide. The fee, which will increase over time if he makes appearances there, could get up to around $6 million Australian dollars overall if he makes mm. enough appearances in the first team in the future. Uh, it's hugely exciting. He's still very raw. He's got a lot of maturing to do off the field and on the field. We saw that with the red card against the victory for a, a bit of petulance when the opposition were trying to rile him up. So he needs room to grow, but the talent is undeniable. And uh, I implore people to just enjoy him while you can until the end of the season before he makes the move to Germany. And then hopefully he's a figurehead of the national team moving forward. But the talent is just off the charts. Well, speaking of Ange, he's been the talking uh, point of the UK. He's uh, certainly been of great interest to us uh, here down under. But uh, he's facing his first real challenge, and that's uh, to come back after a couple of Straight losses. Yeah, well, the injuries hit hard. So he lost three of his first choice um, back four, mm. all in the one game. And he lost James Madison as well. He's been a huge signing for him and uh, a massive talent in the attacking third of the field. So that was always going to happen at, at some stage. Nobody thought it would all happen at once. So that put him under pressure going into the games against, against Wolves. Yep. They struck first, but then uh, gave up two late ones. The international break probably comes at the right time for him, just to maybe get a couple of soldiers back and, and recalibrate. Uh, but they've got Man City in a couple of weeks, so that will be difficult once more. Look, they're still in the top four. Uh, he's won three straight Manager of the Month awards. The expectations have been surpassed enormously. Mm. The credit in the bank is still huge. Um, but Spurs fans have been expecting this. There'll be a correction at some stage, um, and uh, he just needs to try and hang on while he's got some, some key players down, I think he'll be fine. He'll be able to get through it. And Spurs will still be a side that will challenge for the top four. And that's still above uh, the preseason expectations. Mm. So he's going along fine. But he just needs to get through this period with uh, some key players out. Has his demeanour changed with the challenges? Or is that uh, one of his strengths that he's you know pretty straight up and down regardless of win-loss? He's fine um, because he's been through all of this before. And... That's something that you know, supporters and pundits in the UK sometimes forget because they've only just seen him now in the Premier League or for a couple of years at Celtic. They forget that he's been managing since the early 90s. You know, it might not be the same standard, but he still deal with the same challenges at South Melbourne and the Brisbane Raw and with the Socceroos and in Japan and so on. You're still dealing with players getting injured and media criticism and pressure and, and so on and so forth. So he's been through all of it before. He's almost 60 years of age. He, mm. He's gone through plenty. He, he'll be fine. And uh, he's a calm head regardless. And, and the best part about it is he's just got massive support from the player group who love him and the supporters. So uh, the pressure's nowhere near above anything he's faced in his career before. What about the A-League, the pressure on the A-League to, to re-emerge and get back to where they were uh, six to ten years ago when they were really a dominant force? Mm. Um doesn't seem to have uh, changed much, the profile of the A-League uh, again this year. No. Um, look, it's, the standard of football is really strong. 
the issue that I guess it has is, is garnering more attention and more eyeballs and more fans through the gate from inside the football community, never mind outside, never mind other sports, but the football community, which is large in this country, and getting them through to, to A-League games. And we don't have, unfortunately, the big-name marquees that can grab headlines. What we do have is fantastic young Australian talent that's come through in the last two or three years. The problem with that is, and we've seen it now with Irin Kunda, is they're here for a year or two, yeah. they grab headlines, they get people excited, and they get snapped up by European clubs and they're gone. I mean, Geordie Boss at Melbourne City is the perfect example of that. He's going to be a massive player for Australia moving forward. Super talent. But after one amazing season for Melbourne City, he's off to Belgium. Iren Kunda's gone now as well. So it's maintaining those storylines, unfortunately, which is, um, which is a bit of a challenge. But the Melbourne victory has started really well. And we all know that a strong Melbourne victory helps the league enormously. They yep. were terrible last season. They're at the top. If their crowds can be strong, well, then... That should help things uh, trickle along nicely. But it definitely needs to go up another level. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a challenge to us uh, to elevate it at the moment. Garby, beautifully done, mate. Thanks for your time. We always appreciate it on Sports Day. No worries. Thanks, boys. Daniel Garb there. Now, the Socceroos will kick off their run to the 2026 World Cup tomorrow against Bangladesh at Melbourne's Amy Park. If you're heading along, let us know. 0433 is a bit of footy news around the place coming through. Unfortunate news for Nick Bryan from uh, Essendon. Jared, he requires thumb surgery mm. after just a mishap at pre-season. Nothing too severe there. He can keep running, but he's had surgery. We'll get that fixed up the big Budding Ruckman, and it'll be important for them. So that's one to watch. Yeah, okay, Kane, I've just Googled weather tomorrow in Kolkata. Mm-hmm. 27 degrees, and it doesn't suggest any rain until 9pm. And at that stage, it's only 30% rain. Now, we are talking about uh, the threat of a cyclone that's in the Bay of Bengal. Yep. But at this stage, it looks like it could well be, well, reasonably clear until 9, 40% chance at 10. So this game may get done. So what time, local time, does the game, it's probably your question you don't know, usually around 1.50, would it be, the game would start? Don't know, so, but you'd reckon so it to be over by 10. 9 p.m., yeah, be, be close to being over by then. Well, that, that is good news. C- certainly under Duckworth Lewis, <laughs> which is going to get a run tomorrow night. <laughs> that would, it's going to get you, a run. What, how long have you got in you tonight? Like, at what stage were you – how much is your interest in the India-New Zealand semifinal tonight? Uh, no, I'll have, a, I'll have a look. I'll just uh, – 10 p.m.? Monitor. No, 10 p.m. No, you'd want to know uh, what was going on by then. <laughs> Right. I'd, I'd like to see how the wicket is turning. I mean, they didn't want a turner; they just wanted a dead track. So uh, Virat can just smash the ball over the over the fence again. All right. Well, local time uh, start time is two p.m. The game will start between uh, the Aussies and South Africa tomorrow. The rain's coming at nine. Yeah, they're five and a half hours behind us, evidently. Yep, so I don't think the game will quite be finished, but uh, be close to being finishing, certainly deep into the second innings. Now, our news headlines tonight have been brought to us by the Spirit of Tasmania. Stretch out in freedom on board the Spirit of Tassie, free from luggage limits. You can pack more into your adventure with the Spirit of Tasmania. And that was the good oil with Daniel Garb for Cobram Estate. They are Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil grown, harvested and first cold pressed in northern Victoria. If you haven't had your opportunity to get on the show and have you say, give us your opinion Lots to chat about in the world of sport. That Harcourt's open lines, one 736 736 Back with your calls next. Yeah, strong response off the temper text in terms of uh, opening round. few complaints, I think, from Melbourne-based 
footy fans and um, you know, Jared and I are struggling to, to think why. I think it's a largely positive and we get footy a week earlier and they're going to be amazing uh, viewing on TV. This one from John Ron Barassi, the architect of the national competition, would approve of this fixture. I can't believe that any footy fan would have a problem with it. Ron was always about the big picture. Uh, g'day, gents. Great interview with Jed Walter. I coached against Jed in an under-14 Division One prelim final here on the Gold Coast. I played two players on him when he played at half forward, and we still couldn't stop him. He <laughs> smashed us in the final. His team went on to beat an undefeated team in the grand final, and I think he kicked six or eight goals from centre-half forward Ruck and won the best on-ground medal. I knew then this kid would be a star in the AFL at some stage. He's a freak, says Corey on the Gold Coast. Chris is on the line. You want to speak about one of Essendon's new recruits. Welcome to you, Chris. Uh, yeah, uh, evening, boys. Um, the, the question I have, Kane, I know you're, you're a, um, you are you're love a long contract. Yep. And um, Ben McKay, I think, will be a big improver because I think the environment's going to be better suited for him. I think he played well under Brad Scott back in the day. Um, but the question I have is more around this. One, to get a player that you identify as a need and for Essendon is that big body defender to free up Ridley, to free up Redmond, to free up Laverde, to slide down the, the defender, the, the, sorry, the, the forward they've got mm. to play on. Mm. But think back to when you were playing, and I, I don't know what you were on, but to get you out of Port Adelaide, if you were interested in potentially leaving, you, you, they were gonna, it was going to have to be a, a bigger number thrown at you. And yeah. when you look at it, 100K sounds like a lot on paper until half of that goes on tax. Six, seven, eight percent goes to your manager, or whatever the percentage is. Yep. So you're not left with a huge amount of the hundred. So you you have to pay overs to get them out the door. And with what Essendon are doing with their salary cap, they're front loading everything because they have to spend a hundred percent. Yeah. So they're effectively paying a signing bonus, which means that the last five years of the deal are what six, six fifty a year, not eight hundred a year. Yeah. No. I, I look. I'm not overly critical of what Essendon have done. I just don't know they're getting the player they think they're getting in Ben Mackay. So the, the the bonus for the Bombers, the players that they got in the trade period, they didn't give up any draft picks to get them. And they've got the cash. So you have to spend your cash somewhere. Everyone's got to spend 95% of their cap or something similar to that. So you have to spend it. But are they getting the player they think they're getting? Oh, I'm not seeing it with Ben Mackay. And has this been rushed just because he's available and he's the best available versus being a, just a little bit more patient with where they are at and waiting for a better one, Jared, or waiting for one of them to hopefully develop that they have recruited? Well, well, I think the best of Ben is worth the money, but he hasn't produced the best that often. And uh, I don't think he was a great player when Brad was there. He, he obviously... Must have had a good relationship uh, with him, but uh, I reckon his best year was maybe was certainly wasn't this year. It was probably was it last year or the year before? I, I can't remember. Uh, time seems to meld into yeah. one another, but they desperately need somebody. So I think it's a, a good target. Whether or not he, he can propel himself to become a you know like an A grade defender, and that means he's got to play three to five years of uh, top end stuff where he's sniffing around the All Australian squad. That's the sort It'll of be around the mark. That's, that's the level. A- that, uh, that's what they pay that he for. needs to get to, yeah. yeah. They've paid for a player who will be regularly in the squad of 44 as a key defender, and, and that's not that difficult if you're a player of, of that size and that ability and that paycheck. So he's only played 20 games in a, in a season once. Yep. He's often, uh, body has let him down. He's only played in eight wins in his career. Now, that's largely 
not his fault. He never had a Brownlow medal vote and he's never done really anything in terms of those accolades, high best and fairest finishes, which should be pretty easy for him in a poor team. Seventh this year, I think it was, and, and never really in the conversation for all Australian squad. So that's the challenge. He's 25, he's in the prime of his career mm. and he's entering into a good rock solid defence that he believes and the club believes could be one of the best in the competition. So the strategy is sound, but are they getting the player they think they are getting? I'm not convinced. Well, that's up that. to that's up to Ben and you know a combination of him and his coaches. He but he's going to a place where he's comfortable with the uh, the head coach. I'm not sure who the defensive line coach is, but uh, he now is very much in control of his own career. He can't be sitting back and uh, and uh, you know expecting someone else to do the work. Yeah. And a text uh, has just come through from Dom saying that. Brad only gave Ben Mackay four games in his three and a half years playing under him, so I didn't think that was, uh, I didn't think he was uh, at the top Big end fan. when Brad was there. So he's got a lot of work to go, and together they got a lot of work to go. Yeah, and they do, and it's it's time for them to to move pretty quickly. The Bombers, they're making all the right noises. They're saying that they're hungry and they're acting like they are, um, but their trade period spoke of a team that is ready to win a final this year. I'm just maybe it's a year or two. Premature, but uh, we'll, we'll wait and see on that one. one 736 is the Harcourts open line. A few people having a crack at the um, Victorian supporters whinging, saying that they get the grand final. So that's the makeup <laughs> for, for missing out on opening round. Kane, just uh, been Googling the origins of uh, Kolkata, and uh, mm-hmm. as we all expected, uh, it's come from uh, the anglicised version, which was Calcutta. Um, that's the Bengali name is Kelly Carter. And according to some, Kelly Carter is derived from the Bengali word Kalik Shetra, meaning ground of the goddess Kali. Now, if I'm running the TV program or even the radio program on this and I'm just going to take a little bit of liberty here and call it the ground of the god Kohli because it's every chance that he may elevate himself to the spiritual level of a god over the next uh, four or five days yes. when uh, this game is played. I get the feeling you might open the program with that tomorrow night, depending on tonight's results, which you can follow live right here on SEN. Plenty more, though, coming up on Sports Day. We're going to speak some AFLW with the Geelong coach, Dan Lowther. He's going to join us next.